thoughts of a bi black man. What do you want? No, what do you actually want? Am I a prize to be won? A box to check off? An experience to be had? What do you want? I am attracted to you for you. But why do I feel like that's not enough? You love us for our curves. You call us exotic. You can say our names only after we say them first. Can you look past my skin? Do you care to? Or am I just the stereotypical fantasy that you conjure in your mind? We're supposed to have big butts, big dicks, sass for days, be freaks in the bedroom, dance smooth as butter, and have a singing voice that makes any choir soulful. But what if I tell you that I have none of those things? Am I less desirable? Are you disappointed? Does it destroy your fantasy? My life, my struggle, and what I bring to the table isn't an experiment to see what it's like. If you love me, fight for me. If you hear me, learn about me. Is it finally sinking in? Do you see me now? Because I see you. I've always seen you. So welcome everyone to another episode of Let's Unpack That. And today I want to start this episode with a quote from Leslie Feinberg. If you don't name it an oppression, you can't fight it. And so today we're talking about an oppression in the queer community and that's racism. And that's why we started with a recording from my friend Kyle. Kyle's a bi black man in Philadelphia and his poem, his reflection, his words, I think challenge us to think differently and challenge us to make sure that we see black people, especially in the queer community, because the problems are significant and the problems are huge. 51% of people of color experience racism in the LGBT, LGBT community. And today we're gonna unpack it. We're gonna talk about why. We're gonna talk about why it's uncomfortable. We're gonna talk about what we can do to fight it, but we're gonna use a lot of examples. And I'm really excited to do that with Erica and Kirk. So welcome guys. Welcome back to uh, Let's Unpack That Erica. How have you been doing? Um, Since your last episode that you recorded, you are now the most listened to episode of Let's Unpack That. (laughs) How does it feel to be a um, celebrity on a minimally listened to podcast platform? Um, I mean, I should really be asking you about your celebrity status, but it's been (laughs) great. I mean, I've gotten, I think, a lot of super positive feedback and like it's, it's started conversations with people and they've even said like, I've used this to like, reference or like when people that I know say something problematic like I send this to them so that's been great I feel like I don't have to say shit anymore like you <laughs> here's the link <laughs> yeah right I think that's so funny like so many people reacted to it so well and one of those people that reacted to it was Kirk who yeah, is our second guest yeah I said it to people I know. So uh, welcome to the pod, Kirk. Welcome to your first recording of Let's Unpack That. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah. 
We're super excited. I'm super excited to have both of you because it's a weird blend of like my world of like Erica, somebody who I went to school with, but like didn't really know in school at all. And then Kirk, someone who I grew up with, but like didn't really speak to after elementary Mm -hmm. school. So it's been like a weird time to reconnect with people and reconnect with people who are trying to be anti-racist or Erica, people who have gratefully helped some of us see our our racist tendencies through the unpacking white privilege episode or what unpacking white silence episode, um, but also uh, white privilege episode. Um, So Kirk, I would love just for people who don't know you um, just for you to introduce yourself a little bit and like talk to us about who you are, where you live, like where you're from, what you do, just give us a little sense of like, who you are and why you wanted to talk about racism in the queer community. Yeah. So I'm Kirk. I, as Paul mentioned, I went, we went to grade school together, um, elementary school, middle, whatever you call it, middle school. We went to a Catholic um, Archdiocese in Philadelphia school um, in Lafayette Hill in the suburbs of PA. Um, And yeah, I mean, it was exactly what you think it would be, I guess, probably (laughs) that experience, um, which we'll probably get into. I mean, it's, it was it was interesting to say the least. Um, and looking back on it, I think in it you don't realize how sheltered and uneducated you kind of are. Um, so yeah, and then I went to uh, Catholic private school all throughout high school, and then I went to Temple here in Philly, and then um, I've been in Philly since. So I live in South Philly. I work in advertising, so it's it's I've been doing that for four or five years. Um, which is exciting. And, and I mean, my, it's interesting, like with right now with everything going on, like having, and I think I mentioned this to Paul to an extent, like having some sort of influence in that world, like with advertising, I mean, we, with, it's interesting like at my company, we were talking about DNI all the time. Now our DNI officers all of a sudden have this, you know, that they should, maybe should have been doing more in the first place. And, but now they're reacting and having my role just trying to influence where I can within the company without overstepping, but with my role as in advertising and, and content marketing and stuff. So it's, um, so that's like my professional part. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I've, so being a, str- being a straight white male, I almost just said. <laughs> that being is hilarious. White, oh my God. I'm like suppressing something there. Um, <laughs> being um, not a straight white male, being an out gay white male. I think that's what I am. Um, is, um, I mean, I've been out-ish, I guess, for like five years like after college. But I mean, it was never really not out. That's kind of how I would say I never had this like epiphany moment. Uh, I mean, I did like internally, but I never like feel like that became like a, I didn't like post on Facebook that I was gay, which is just fine. Nothing wrong with that. But like, that just wasn't what I did because I didn't think I had to. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, so yeah. So being in the LGBTQ community, um, I'd say openly for like since college um, have definitely, I think the stuff we'll talk about today is stuff that I've definitely witnessed and seen but and then things I was like wow I kind of do this or I used to do this or um, I don't want to do this anymore uh, and how how I act or, or towards different types of people even though we are a minority or a group that is discriminated against understanding that we too then discriminate against people within our own community um, which has been like I think sobering to learn and that's before even what's going on now I think through the past I think I've noticed it for the past five years of just you know being going out to a bar or talking to people online or on an app or meeting friends. Like it's just, it, it, it's everywhere, I think. So that's something that um, is important, I think, for people to know. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's so funny that, you know, you and I, I think, started talking about this, like, because of 
what is going on with the systemic racism and clearly overt oppression um, and feeling like as queer people, we need to address it in our own community. You know, like it is to me super upsetting some of the stuff that's happened specifically in Philadelphia, but also what's happening just across the country. Um, and I'm, I, I think that like, like that, that racism, that classism, you know, Erica is also a member of the, of the queer community. Like you've experienced this, this firsthand. And I think like this episode could be a hodgepodge. It could be a, a mess. You know, we have, we have two white gay men talking about this, but that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have Kirk on this podcast, because it is on us as white people to do better and address these issues in our community and talk about them, yeah. bring, bring them to light and like, start standing up to people in our community who and communities and and people and in our community and companies in our community who like actively suppress black queer people um and so our perspective today like may be shaped mostly by like the male perspective and the gay male perspective um but that's why i'm so excited erica to have you on as as a a black female in the community too to talk about this stuff with us too because i just feel like if if we're not having dialogue together like it will never get better and we will continue to oppress and suppress you know other people in our already disadvantaged minority community so we are not exempt i think and so yeah this is going to be a great great episode so erica i don't know if you have any like first like kind of reactions to that or sort of our topic or anything but i mean i think you know i sit as somewhat of an outsider um and even like Paul was telling me on our weekend getaway about some of his experiences and things that I think are considered incredibly taboo in the street community. That's just like a thing that happens in the gay community. Um, I'm like enamored with Grindr because of the, like, it's just so quick. (laughs) I'm just, the idea of like, all right, you're within this, you know, proximity, like, let's go. I'm just like, this blows my mind. So I think on one hand, I, you know, I've experienced some of the racism that comes with online dating. And I think sometimes people mask racism as preferences or whatever, but, you know, let's call a spade a spade. Um, But I also think that in apps like Grindr, where you do have the opportunity to pick and choose um, so much more. I think there's a lot that I have to learn from this too. Cool. Yeah. And Kirk, were you going to say something too? Um, yeah, I agree. And I think even with, um, you know, I, I was, I was, I think I was going to say actually it was being a woman, I think is different. Right. I mean, I don't, I, I, I speaking to like lesbian friends that I have in the community that they find the gay male so different and interesting like they I don't like to my knowledge I mean like women on apps don't probably act that same way where it's just this I feel like within with men at least there's this like lack of respect that allows for that for that like oh let's go like you're 100 feet away from me let's go hook up like that's not something that I feel like most other species of humans do it's just (laughs) there's like not really a respect there um I think women with other women have there might be more respect there um but I don't also know if there's that opportunity, which is like a whole other discussion of like the almost oppression of lesbians in the community too, to be honest, um, at least yeah. from a gay, pers- gay male perspective, for sure. 
Yeah, it's so interesting that you said that because as I was trying to research for this podcast, the, the maybe second of 30 episodes I've done research on beforehand, before I've just opened my mouth, um, <laughs> you know, like finding articles and finding resources, like specifically as they relate to the queer female experience is like almost impossible. It's it, it the media is dominated by white gay men. You know, our perspectives are shaped by white gay men. And even just finding these voices in our own community that have more than 200 views on a YouTube video is like nearly impossible. So hopefully we can talk about that a little bit today. But also, like, I just want to add a disclaimer, like, there's so much more that I need to know, too. And there's so much more I want to read and want to hear. So if you have resources, you know, we'll, we'll plug our social media handles at the end, but send them to us so that we can talk about them better. Um, so I, I think with that, I, I, I want to jump in um, to to our, to our topic. So there's a couple ways that we're going to jump at this today. So uh, we want to talk about overt racism in Philadelphia because that's where we're from. And I think that that is a really good example of what else is happening nationwide and also in other places across the world. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit about erasure and objectification of people of, of color in queer media. Um, I want to talk about racial sexual discrimination. Like I think, Erica, you were just leaning into some of that um, when you were talking about Grindr. I want to specifically address some of those dating apps and then have that conversation around when you say things that you say about the people that you want to date, is it truly a preference or is it prejudice? You know, and what are some of those nuances? We're, we're not experts. Famously, none of us are experts in this. So um, we're all trying to be better, though, and we're trying to be anti-racist and we're, we're trying to make sure we're amplifying the voices of people like Erica. Um, and so I, I think that all of this could is a good way, I think, for us to to unpack this stuff. So we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll jump right into our topic. All right, everyone, and welcome back. So Today we're unpacking racism in the queer community, and we wanted to start with our own community um, about overt racism in Philadelphia. Because um, around three, four years ago, um, a lot of it came to light through um, a Facebook group called like Gay Philly or something, and like Philadelphia Gay Journal, um, or the version of, 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 of the Philadelphia Journal that is for queer people. They have like their own separate little website, which you know we can talk about inclusivity. But um, so, um, it's, it's interesting kind of the, the problems that we faced in our own community, because as I sat down to do a little bit of like refresh on what the situation was, cause three years ago in the Trump presidency feels like eight years ago. Um, you know, it, it was very clear that black people have been saying that white gays in Philadelphia are racist forever, but nobody was listening. So there were a lot of articles around like how people felt and like specifically like one thing with um, like, I think it was like Woody's or Voyeur, like white gay men will like walk past the bouncer and not have to pay a fee to get in. Like they won't have to pay a cover, but like when a black person shows up, they will. So like even just like little examples of like five years ago of how people were discriminating against, like little twinks can run in there and just like have a blast. But like when like a larger black man yeah. or uh, like any person of color would want to go in, it was like, no, sorry, $20, which I'm like, that is like, so overt but also hard to be like hey why was he 
Why was he let in they for could free, but something else? Yeah. Any right? Because they do that like, sometimes anyway. Of like that, per, they will like random people. They won't make them pay, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's just like, like it's their it, birthday it could, or could, something. Yeah. Exactly. It's their yeah. birthday, or they they know somebody who works here. Or they yeah. know, well, duh, because the establishment is run by white white people. people. So, um, but uh, so I, I was reading back and I was thinking about that and like reflecting, and then I thought like. Okay, if these articles were written in 2014, 2015, and 2016, why did like Woody's and Eye Candy not get canceled until 2017? And it's because the owner was caught on video, which, hmm, what does that situation remind us of? Is that nobody started talking about something until they were recorded on video? Like, I just like, it was again like an example of like white gays in Philadelphia not listening to black gays in Philadelphia and then waiting until it came to head then everybody could get outraged because they had tangible proof of the owner of one of the bars using the n-word and talking about how like right. those people shouldn't be allowed in that bar. So Daryl DiPiano who's the owner of Eye Candy was caught on film talking to another bartender around wow. black people and using incredibly discriminatory language. So there was a massive protest out front of Eye Candy three years ago. Yeah. And it also came out that at that time, Woody's was not allowing certain types of dress, people wearing certain types of clothing into their bars as well. Timberlands were banned as well as sportswear, which I just can't even think that that was not created with yeah. some version of a racial stereotype because we know that people of color are more likely to wear clothes like that, specifically black people. That's like, very much a, a black brand, like I would say, and then white people, of course, adopt Timberland. But Timberland, yeah. Well, and I think like, the 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 sportswear is so interesting because, like, what is what is that's such a broad brush of like what is sportswear? Like, you know, right. what I mean? like, it's it, I know what it is, but there could be a lot of different things that they could put under that and be like, or if I came in wearing that, because they could qualify. And this isn't really sportswear, sportswear, right? Yeah, because what we're like like cute one young white gays like yeah. just looking to grab a drink but like i just so like again like all of this came to light in philly like three years ago and the community is clearly still struggling from it and i i i like thought oh well there's no way that like people can be doing that anymore but then like i don't know i was in iceland in january and i was trying to go out to a bar and they literally i was wearing boots and they literally told me that people with boots are not allowed in and i was like i don't know if that's just like a random rule because there was snow on the ground and they could have been snow boots but i just thought like to me this like this even racism in a community that like pretends to be so welcoming in philly and like philadelphia is the first like official gayberhood in the entire right. country so like why are we so bad at like addressing you know people of color black people trans people in our community in philly like why don't we support them like is it our institutions like stonewall kickball like that do it like like what what is sort of like the the driving factor and i don't know if you guys have experience with some of that stuff or just i would love to hear your thoughts on some of that stuff because uh you know it was three years ago but it's certainly something that has defined the way that 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 black people have reacted like and what black people have advocated for since then like including the black and brown colors on the rainbow flag philly was the first to do that because we we had you know significant issues with racism in our community so it's an open-ended question. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, <laughs> I think one of I was like, the the rainbow flag thing was something that I was, I remember when it happened, and I remember and I, you guys correct me if I'm wrong because I tried to look and find stuff on this but I couldn't find anything. Remember when when they did it, there was backlash 
to it being made, I think, because it was like, were, was that, was the black and brown community not, obviously there was, it was done to show, hey, you are included, but it was like, we should have, we are, we've always been included. Like, I feel like there, I don't know if I'm right there, where there was backlash against it happening from the black and brown community being like, oh, like this is, first off, it's like a performative thing. And then it's like, were were we never, like now you're, now you're saying we're included and we never were, or like, is this the way, I don't know if that was the right way to address that there are there is an issue and there is racism in the community. Um, it kind of felt like like let's just do it, and then that means that there isn't almost. Right. Um, we we've solved racism by putting your colors on the yeah. black. Yeah, that's like what it felt like. And there's literally I remember because um, I lived in this apartment for three years, and there's a, two houses down. They still have it hanging, and it's the 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 rainbow flag with the two stri- brown and black stripes. And I've always just I don't know I, I've always like liked the idea, but then I'll still feel kind of weird about it. But yeah, I, I like my my first reaction to like the flag was like hell yeah we need to be doing this and like now I know the flag is evolving to include yeah. um, uh, bisexual and, and transgender colors as well which seems important just from like a visual representation of be like remember these people matter and it feels more th- like this time around feels more thoughtful I just feel like I don't I didn't know I guess I don't know about the first time it happening but it, for some reason I felt like it was kind of just like a eh, gesture and not like right. a lot of thought or like or action behind it. In, in Philly, yeah. at least. Philly is where it was starting. Right, yeah, because, like, has Philly gotten better? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I I would say not from the Black people that I talk yeah. to, but, you know, Erica is one Erica, of those Black yeah. people. I'm sure you can provide <laughs> some lens into, you know, like, that experience. And I know I, I know you have a couple of, like, you know, of Black gay friends as well. So, like, um, you know, I won't name names because I don't know if they're fully out. But, you know, just I know that you've talked to some of them about some of this stuff, too. So... Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it is when, like, everything that people imagine when they're like, oh my god, like, this is the gay community, it's all done through a very white frame, and so it, I've, you know, spoken to my friends who are um, people who are part of the LGBTQ community who are you know, just not white. And they're kind of like, it feels like if a white gay does it, then it's like, oh my God, like white girls are saying yes everywhere and everyone's celebrating it. But he's like, when I do it as a, he's black and Hispanic. um, But, you know, obviously he physically, most people just assume that he's black. Um, But he was kind of like, it almost feels like I'm just, He's like, I feel like I'm the one dressing up as a white gay in the sense that, like, this doesn't even feel like when I walk out, they're like, ooh, you shouldn't be doing that. Like, let this, like, beautifully chiseled white guy do it. And, like, that's fine. And he's like, and I think for me, I get that a lot just as a black woman myself where it's like, oh, my God, like, you're literally dressed like a white girl right now. And it's like, I'm wearing my comfortable ass clothes and it's not my fault that Madewell has high quality jeans, not sponsored, but please do. And, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah, so, you know, I'll wear something and it's like, that's not what black people are quote unquote supposed to wear. And I feel like in the gay community, there's a lot of that too, because it's kind of like, Oh, well, black men aren't really supposed to be doing this or, black women really shouldn't be doing you know dressing that way and it's kind of everything is framed within a white lens and from the inception it's always felt like the pride celebrations aren't really meant 
for us unless it is a black pride celebration um and so we're just kind of you know we're like a little side annex like it's not it it feels like we're not fully included which Mm. which i think is interesting because i i i think i mean because a lot of what white gays do or i don't want to use the word culture but the white gay whatever culture drives from i mean arguably i'd say a lot of it from black culture Original, mm-hmm. right so it's like you're taking or we because as one we're taking that like a black culture making it ours and then when black gays do it it's not okay which is weird because we're taking it from their culture like their actual mm-hmm. culture right um yeah. yeah it's so that's it's that's interesting it's so funny somebody mentioned that to me um uh, a woman i work with named claire she was like you know one thing we even need to think about is like you said kirk like it's our reactions to stuff like how often do white gay men use like a black meme or black gif like from real housewives of atlanta or from you know love and basketball like we'll use one of those things to like make a comment on something just because it's like a fun i do that all the time so i say that not to lecture but to say like fuck i'm part of this too you know like i'm i'm part of this too like we we use that stuff because we feel like it's our our community and our culture and it's actually like not you know and like do we like it's really not at all like it's it's the same way that things have been appropriated on on shows like drag race right like just different things and different terminology that has been stolen from like whether it's rupaul or or somebody else you know like it from a from a a black trans leader from a black drag queen like we've taken that and we've appropriated that and we've used that to make ourselves seem funnier but then it's not okay like for you to come into our bars <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah it's amazing <laughs> yeah and i even think like i mean at least black men gay black gay black men are i mean in my experience from either hearing people say this or friends or people i know or just other white gays commenting like there's a specific like a white gay can can act more feminine or, or act more quote unquote gay whatever that means and like but like black men are expect gay black men are expected to still act a certain mask way almost that i've mm-hmm. and i think a lot of white gays now i think the world of instagram try and like be this whole mask mentality but i feel like it's not it's more accepted for white gays to be accept to be more themselves or more flamboyant or whatever that is and accepted that way then i feel like when when black gay men that do that on are they're not as accepted or it's not as it's like it then the white gay is like oh that guy is like super gay or that guy is like super mm-hmm. flamboyant they need to be like my idea of a black gay man is like they need to be just like you know a stereotypical black man or something like if i could hear that a lot which is where white, right. guys, like, white gays get a pass on like they can act however they want and they can be whatever type of gay they want to be where i, I feel just... like other people other minorities within who aren't white gays have to like fit a certain mold Right. You're, you're so, like, I, just as you were saying, I was thinking about Queer Eye, which is, let's be clear, a show for straight people. Yeah. But imagine if JVN or the JVN character, the archetype was black, would he have as many followers? Would he be as, you know, clearly unproblematic as he is because he's just living his life and being his fantasy versus somebody like Karamo on that show is very much more reserved, you know, is very much more, which a lot of queer people have challenges with uh, Karamo as well. But, you know, just using that as an example for our mostly straight listener base, like 
thinking about that example, would that be okay if Karama was as flamboyant? And I put quote, okay, in quotation marks, you know, yeah. like, like, would that be okay? Like, would we support and love that person as much? I don't know, Erica, I know you were going to chime in too. Like, so I'd love to hear kind of your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, so I'll be honest, I've seen like, three episodes of Queer Eye in my <laughs> lifetime. It's just not like I think the stories are great but it's just like not something that I navigate towards honestly I just don't like feeling feelings um <laughs> super healthy <laughs> we'll we'll unpack that later but, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, um you know I think especially within the black community I will say it's like men are taught to be like masculine and you guys, no one else can see this. I put air quotes around it. Um, and we keep air quoting a lot, everybody. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, everything that we're saying is well, through the lens of sarcasm and quotation marks. <laughs> this is an air quote pod. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do unpacking air quotes. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that there's this expectation of how Black men are supposed to act. And I think that, you know, we are taught or we black men are taught by their parents, you know, act a certain way. And then they're told by society act a certain way. And so I think to have a Karamo character or someone or Karamo himself with the same personality as JVN, a lot of people would kind of be like, Ooh, what's this? Like, this is too much. He's being too much. And like, let's be honest, JVN is too much as a person, but like (laughs) that is, a part of his personality and that's a part of his like you know appeal and I'm super extra so I will never you know condemn someone for being the fullest version of themselves but I think that black people were kind of told pretty early on that if we're going to be the quote-unquote fullest versions of ourselves it has to be a version that society tells us is correct. So it's like, oh, if she's, she's to talk a certain way, she's to walk a certain way. Um, whereas like Karamo's just, you know, he's very, he seems like a very positive person and just kind of a little bit more laid back. He's about the like, you know, he's not about the showboat kind of style. Um, and it kind of feels like he gets shoved to a corner sometimes. Not as much as Bobby, let's be honest. True. Yeah. <laughs> I love that we know that only watching three episodes. I mean, I only seen a few episodes too, to be honest, and I know that. Yeah. It's like, who's Bobby? But it's, uh, uh, right. Exactly. Right. Bobby's but the that's one. That's not his fault. I think that's just. <laughs> yeah, Bobby. Well, it's like Bobby's the one with the real skill. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Like, let's keep talking about Anthony making pancakes, but. Never. Avocado toast. I'm like, Anthony, you smash avocado and put it on toast. Chill, girl. A white gay making avocado. Revolutionary. Wait, and now I feel like we're going to do a whole different topic of outside of Philly, but I mean, which we can, I mean, I think the next thing was the media. Which we're kind yeah, of it was. It's erasure and objectification yeah, which, in media. I saw you say on Instagram or somewhere Lizzo had put out, they, they did a music video, I guess, for her song. Um, now I'm blanking on what song it is, but Soulmate. You know, the ones like, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. Soulmate, whatever. Um, and it's like with queer eye, so it was. I just it was like an animated lyric video, but so the, the, it's with all the five queer eye guys, 
and her, but they don't have any role. They're just like in it. And I just, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I was like, what is the purpose? I don't know. It's, it's this show has become this like um, avenue. You're right for straight people to, which it kind of has always kind of been that way. But I don't think the old queer eye was accepted the way this queer eye is accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, so it's like almost like let's just like I don't know. It was weird just for me to see it in a video with Li- them within a video with Lizzo for like just to use Lizzo to amplify them. I don't know what the goal was there, but. Um, like a lot of my girlfriends are like, they love Queer Eye. And I don't really knock them for liking Queer Eye. It's like, it's, no, it's better than not yeah. liking it, I guess. But like, yeah. I, they, when I like have this conversation with them about it, they don't, they can't get, they don't, they're like, oh no, like they don't, I'm not, I'm not calling, I'm not saying you're part of the problem by liking Queer Eye, but like you have to understand like, this isn't really a representation of the LGBTQ community. Um, these guys aren't like the best like examples of LGBTQ people. Um, mm-hmm. But I, so it's like, it, I get it, it kind of has progressed things in the media, but then also hasn't, is I think one right, of the issues with, right. the, with that show. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's funny the way that you, like, you, you characterize that of like that, them being examples in the queer media. Like, where, where, where I like, where I, why I watch Queer Eye, I guess, as part of my like, like, it's like I'm supporting queer media. They're obviously involved in this, they do a lot for, like not just straight people they have episodes for people who are trans or people who are coming out they've they've made sure they've talked about um specifically catholic and and christian situations but the 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 reason that i watch it is because it is palatable for straight people and i feel that if i understand what straight people's perception of queer people is then i can better speak to queer to straight people so that they can so that I can relate to them and then help them really dig even deeper. You know, like if you've watched Queer Eye, can I recommend Pose? Right. If you've watched Pose, can I recommend Paris is Burning? If you've watched Paris is Burning, can you jump on a podcast and we can talk about it? You know, like, like so it's like, like I view it as like different steps on how to connect with straight people because I think as we're talking about erasure and objectification in, in, in of people of color in queer media, the one that I wanted to focus on specifically was like disclosure on netflix i don't have you guys had a chance to watch that yet i haven't watched it but i have seen i've seen the trailer and stuff but now i haven't watched it yeah it's it's really great i watched it a couple nights ago and i found myself questioning like everything you know about my view of trans people and my like own attitudes towards trans people because i felt like i was an advocate and then after listening to Laverne Cox, Leslie Feinberg, all of these, Travel Anderson, all of these other people talk about it. Black, you know, like specifically a lot, a lot of people of color, um, a lot of black activists, like a lot of queer activists, a lot of writers, actors. Like, I just felt like, oh my God, like I know nothing about this experience at all. And I felt like I had so much more, you know, work to do. And they used a couple different examples all throughout the documentary of how black people have been erased from queer culture. Like the first of which is like the Stonewall movie from 2015. Did you guys read about that? Yeah. Like, it was too, because the, I guess the director and maybe the writer, screenwriter were white, I think. Right. And they created the, like a whitewashed version of Stonewall, which I mean, honestly, arguably though, like my initial learnings of Stonewall were whitewashed. Like, I think I didn't really understand like, like the significance of the black trans community in that and with with Marsha and all that kind of stuff like um 
until I like probably like really looked my. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think I learned about Stonewall. My, Paul and I've talked about this about like, I mean, I didn't learn about Stonewall in history class. Like that just didn't happen. No. Um, but like when I learned about it myself, but then when I really try to dig into it, like a few years later, it's like, oh shit, like actually this is what happened. But um, so I'm not shocked. I don't think we should be shocked that there was a movie made that where it was whitewashed. But it is still kind of crazy because it was like not even factual almost. Um, yeah. Like remotely. Yeah. Yeah, and Erica, I know you said you you didn't watch it, so I'll give you a quick synopsis, but they covered the Stonewall riots, which for the straight people who might not be the best allies yet listening, it, it, the Stonewall riots were the reason that we had the modern gay liberation movement. And in the movie, there's this whole famous story of that someone threw the first brick at Stonewall. Someone like threw a brick, threw a bar window, and that's what set off the riots. Like it very much glamorized, but we're we're you know, we're queer, we're theatrical, we're dramatic. So like, but in the movie, they show a white man taking the brick and throwing it through the bar window or throwing it at the police officers. Start the, the white man started the riot and then gays could get married. And so the, the problem with that is, is that it was actually three uh, black and trans and queer identifying people who started that movement, whether they threw the first brick or not, you know, you can look at the history and, and argue one way or the other. I don't think there's a, a clear one. Um, but Eric Cervini, who's a gay historian, has a great take on it. Um, and and the, the, the person most famous for it is Marsha P. Johnson, who I have incorrectly named in this podcast as somebody else who is not that. Uh, so we could go back and listen to that episode. But, but Marsha P. Johnson was a, a uh, queer activist. She was a black drag queen. I, I think she identified as, as a, a tranny, which is not a, a word that we use anymore for, on, the, on the whole um, to, to talk about transgender people. Um, but she was the one who was credited her and Sylvia Rivera are two people who were credited with starting the, the riots. So even queer made movies erase black queer activists. So when we talk about like how, why this is an issue, you can see it so simply. And that was just one of the like thousand uh, uh, pieces of media that Laverne Cox and her team identified in disclosure um, and I just found it fascinating that we, as white people, are so willing to erase black people from our, you know, struggle for equality. Yeah. Like, like it wouldn't have happened without them, you know. But we made Stonewall seem like this bar that was for like white gay men. It was like their watering hole where they could come and get together. Like it wasn't like that, you know. It yeah. wasn't like that at all. So it's just it's whitewashing history. It's, it's whitewashing entertainment. And, it and even in 2015, the year that we received the uh, equal right to marry, <laughs> they still erased black people. <laughs> like they had the perfect chance to tell the story correctly and they still didn't do it. It's funny because I, so it is a family curse passed from my mother. I love reality TV. <laughs> And um, I was watching, I don't remember what they called it, but it was Caitlyn Jenner's. I am Kate. Yeah, I am Kate. And I'm happy you brought her up because that was, that was what I was going to do. Yeah, like she, so. <laughs> we got to talk about her, problematic. And she, when she, there's an episode that I very clearly remember because honestly, reality TV show, I watch in an absolute haze. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's happening, but I know what's happening. 
But, um, you know, she was doing some kind of, like, girls trip, and she's on a bus with a group of Black um, transgender women, and they're like, it's great that, like, you're doing this, but, like, they're like, we were selling our bodies um, just to afford the hormones. We were, you know, sleeping on the streets. We've been arrested. We've been abused, and we've been neglected, and you come out, and you get, like, you know you're dripping in like Ferragamo and Gucci and it's just like you got all of this because of your privilege like you are not a part of our fight you're just someone who you know is who made decisions that we did but had to bypass literally all of the difficulties that come with it and so I think you know, Caitlyn Jenner to me kind of spoke a lot because she was not the first. She was not the last. She was not the most famous, but, or she, not that she might've been the most famous at the time, but I don't think she, she did anything to deserve that fame at all. Um, and it just, everything about that situation just truly bothered me. And at the time, like, I'll be honest, I still didn't understand that transvestite was not an appropriate term. Um, and this was however long it was. I don't know. I remember I was living at my parents' house, which means I was probably Yeah, it was like five years. Which I, 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 year, apparently. Yeah, and I don't think that I would have known that either five years ago. I, I don't know exactly, yeah. but I'm I'm at, I'm 100% positive that in 2015, even as I was dating the person who's now my husband, I still hated myself and still didn't, you know, like drag. I still didn't yeah. like, you know, like people I didn't understand and, and probably, yeah, probably didn't like, you know, I probably didn't understand and probably didn't like people who were transgender. You're, other, I you're didn't probably othering it. still. I was probably fully othering, yeah. you know, like you weren't, that, that's not, you weren't another, even though you were. Yeah. Right. Even though I was, but like, I'm like normal. I'm not, I'm <laughs> yeah, not too gay. With Caitlin is so interesting to me because you're right. I mean, she didn't do anything to progress trans anything. Like it was just, she became trans, made it a moment and, for herself it was all self-satisfying which i mean is that what that family kind of is but it was just for herself um and yeah and i think that a lot of unfortunately like when you like when you talk to an, most straight people and probably gay people hopefully not as much but that's who they point to when they think of transgender people like they don't like mm-hmm. maybe laverne cox which is crazy and that like that's a very big maybe but like um and that too is still an issue that that's the only person they could think of. But it's even like Laverne had been around well before Caitlyn Jenner, and she never had that platform that Caitlyn had mm-hmm. while she was still mm-hmm. trying. And she's and I don't know enough about her to say she's not problematic or is. I don't know what she's done, but I do know that like she has progressed the conversation way more than Caitlyn Jenner has. But Caitlyn Jenner is like the face of being transgender, um, and whether that's I mean it's not a great thing, but I and I I don't think what, what that could have what she could have done is crazy to me that's the, I guess that's what it is like what she yeah. could have done with her platform and like how she could have like there are people that were never going to get it because she was Bruce Jenner and she was this athlete that was never going to get out of like I think our parents generation couldn't get over that type of thing but mm-hmm. um the what she could have done for like our generation to move forward and understand it she didn't do at all and like that's so interesting she had this tv show where like she invited these people on it and still didn't really let them have a voice I don't know. She's still like she sat on that bus. I remember that episode talking about why she would vote for Trump and why she would why she's a conservative and why she thinks that he cares um, about the LGBTQ community. And it was just like read the room. Like it, it, she didn't mm-hmm. ever do that. And that's why that, that like that 
she very much does frustrate me, frustrate me that whole situation. Um, yeah, and it's sure. funny because Laverne talks about her in Disclosure. And she's not in like, it, is she, Caitlin? No, no. no. Yeah, so they, <laughs> they did. I there's no, or she was invited. Her? Or she was invited and said no because she realized it's yeah. not her place. Like so, the, there was this massive reflection around um, like Caitlyn Jenner and how we like it, like the, the the message of disclosure at, at that part of the documentary was we accept Caitlyn Jenner. We do not agree with any of her political beliefs. <laughs> She's a problematic unfortunate icon but she's palatable by straight people because she was on the kardashians and is there anyone more palatable by straight white women than the kardashians because the kardashians influence their culture whether they watch the show or not you know and so that what they said though about i am kate the the show that aired for a couple years after um uh caitlin jenner came out um as transgender and started transitioning they were like the show was not about caitlin at least the show highlighted some of the struggle of trans people um but that was still a privilege for caitlin to be able to use that platform Mm -hmm. to highlight those stories because there have been trans people who have been making content for years that nobody's watched because it doesn't have the endorsement of a kardashian and i just it it makes me like so angry at myself for not knowing for myself for othering it makes me frustrated by the experience that kirk you and i had of of our grade school of, of a predominantly predominantly white institution just from the the time that we were in kindergarten together until eighth grade like um and i just i i like if i had been surrounded by black people what would my life have looked like you know what would my experience have looked like and and how much less of an asshole would i have been for my first 28 years of existence or i don't i forget how old i am but like for my first you know like uh 25 years of existence without really even ever dipping into the black queer arena by getting to know black queer people. You know, I've, I've, I've barely even dated anybody who is a person of color. I just, so I I think that, 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 you know, if you guys are good to sort of pack in the transgender conversation and and the, the black transgender conversation, we can totally move to our next topic. But, you know, I want to just come back to you guys to see if there are final thoughts, because the the, the next thing is that racial sexual discrimination, um, which I know all of us have been a part of. There was one thing I think might be nice to close this part out. It's it's not specifically to to trans, but in the media, um, I think one of the first times I remember like understanding that the media, the, the way that the media speaks about LGBT or represents LGBTQ people was was white. I never thought about it, I guess, just being a white person, just something I had to think about. And I had a, this is before I was like out, more air quotes. And um, I took a, I think it was, a, it was a women's studies class in, in say junior or senior year of college. And I think I was the only like white cis male, I think in the class. Um, anyway, there, we, we our, our professor had showed us um, and you probably all remember this, um, like a clip of, it was the Ellen show, and not the Ellen show, Ellen, her talk show. And um, it was these this couple of this, these two white gay men who got engaged in like a Home Depot. They had like a whole flash dance. It was like to Betty Who's song, um, mm-hmm. Somebody Who Loves You. Um, and she showed it with no like, no 
um, context or anything and like waited for reaction. I remember like, oh, like I've seen this, like this is really great. Like this is gay people. We're getting a platform. Ellen's gay. Like, you know, that whole, and she had them on the show. They talked this whole thing. I remember one person immediately like, and everyone agreed with them. And I, I just sat there and listened and they were like, like, no, that's wrong. And this is what's wrong with that. It's the fact that it, this would never happen if this was two gay black men or two gay black women or, um, anyone who is black in the LGBTQ community and this is okay because the media is okay and America is okay with seeing two white clean cut men engaging in an, in an engagement and, and being on the show and being talked about. I think that was the first time where I was like, wow, like this is all I ever see when it comes to being LGBTQ in, in the media. Like it's will and grace. It's um, and like a great show. Like, not, like, I don't have anything against like we have to, you have to progress, I guess, but still it's just right. like pioneer for its time. But, but it still not like, Ellen, Ellen was the pioneer for her time in the moment. Like, do I like Ellen now? No, I, I despise Ellen, but um, I, there it's, it's interesting. I never really thought about it. I was like, I never thought to think where are the black people or where are people of color in the community? Um, because it was always just at least they're showing the community like that's kind of what it felt like um, but that was like the first moment for me where I was like oh my god like this is screwed up anytime I see a viral video on YouTube or on Facebook or whatever around anything gay it's two white gay men and mm -hmm. very clean cut mm -hmm. very like it's not like you know it's, it's a specific type of person which I don't which I think we have progressed a bit but still kind of is like that's what queer, queer eye is like you get Karamo and they say what do you mean you have that black you have your black gay that's your black gay like which and which they do all the time. You have Laverne Cox. There's your black transgender person. But we get 15 white trans or like 30 white gays. You know, it's, it's just it's still there. Which can be out. You can take that out of, out of the LGBTQ community. With you had Obama. You had your black president. Like I think we see that a lot. You have mm -hmm. your famous black singer. You have your like you get. You know, that's I think something that just the media does in general. Um, you get your token. Yeah, you get yeah, your token you get your essentially. Token. And it's um, but I, I guess it is very prevalent in the community um and even like in social circles in the community where you have the one gay black friend um and it's like that's enough or like you see those the stone back to the stonewall kickball things like i don't i don't engage in that not i just don't play kickball but i don't like i don't really <laughs> no shit. He's, ki he's kicking other balls no yeah. to kick ball. okay uh, no to kick ball. <laughs> i don't kick balls the sun's not into that but um it's all white guys like i mean anytime i see people that i know that are on that it's all white people for the most part and it's like there is maybe one person of color on your team and it's like that to me is this like that's the root of the issue sometimes like if it's not even yours if, if we're not even including them in the conversation um and in our circles like it's not going to happen on higher scales like you know it's, it's going back and forth with it right right yeah. we'll say stonewall volleyball is incredibly diverse and I love everyone who plays because I play with them in other leagues. Oh, and they're so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad that, that like that's a space that does feel more diverse and accepted and welcoming. Because I feel like my mine are like, you know, I go out to a bar and it's like mostly white people. Yeah. Like it's mostly white gays. Like, oh, I'm glad we have, you know, our one lesbian here who's part of our friend group. I'm glad we have our one black friend who can sing. We're going to put him up on the microphone during karaoke night. It's like, that's not true inclusion. Like, and that's exclusion. Like you just, by just not or, even having a representative sample of the amount of people that exist. Or even like, like bartenders at bars too. Like you see, I know. it's all yeah. white. I mean, most of the time they're straight probably sometimes, which, which I don't, and then it used to really be that way. I don't know if it is anymore, but it's usually yeah. just like, a specific type too, which is an issue. Like there's not, maybe you have the one black art gay bartender who looks a certain way and has to look that way, um, which, you know, it's a part of the problem too. Mm -hmm. I think you're dead on. 
Yeah, thank you, Ditto. And I'm going to take Paul's role and transition this to um, kind of focusing on the sexuality aspect of it. And I think, you know, I've, in my personal experience, you know, I've seen white women and, you know, not even to say that like, oh, I don't like their bodies, but they don't take care of themselves or like they carry themselves in a certain way that I think some might not deem to be attractive or just, you know, like that girl looks like she's in showered in six months. Like I don't want to be around her. And I think that women of color- also, also me today. But I think that, you know, black people in general, like, we're told that we're supposed to look a certain way. So um, like in the poem that you read, it's, you know, like you have to have a huge ass. You have to have a curvy body. You have to be, you know, well endowed. And it's like, okay, well, what happens when you sit outside of that? Because I mean, not that I've ever looked in the mirror and thought like, wow, my butt is just not big enough. But um I think that when it comes to that certain look um, for black people, it's a very small little tunnel, but for white people, there seems to be this, you know, oh, well, like, at least she has like long hair, or at least she has this. It, it sometimes feels like, you know, we're, they're not put in such a tight mold. Um, and I will say out of the many gay or I don't know where I don't know where Frankie Bradley sits. It is, is it? Yeah, I don't it's know. Like Jason, right? Mm. I don't know. It's it's, I don't know. It's positioned. Yeah, it is gay Jason. But yeah, like yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. Literally, no, I I don't know. I have that issue too because I'll have because I'll have straight friends who don't really always want to go to the gay bar, which I get, who will go there any day of they would any Saturday or fr- Friday because it's not as gay. I guess I I don't know. Yeah, they, they do drag shows. So that makes it, I think, more gay of a gay yeah. bar. I don't know. It's a good question, though. I don't know. But, you know, they have a couple black bartenders and they not to I mean, this sounds terrible to say, but in it and to one extent, they feel interchangeable because it feels like they hold the same role at the bar where it's like, all right, you know, if someone wants to fetishize your body like you have a near perfect body and you're gorgeous like let's just you know pander to that for a little bit but then you go to Woody's and it's like the same guy uh, same outfit same haircut same perfectly toned body and it seems that even in the going out aspect it always I feel like they're catering towards you know, like the idea that the white body is more attractive. Like, I don't know if you've been to Voyeur where they have like the go-go dancers, but I've seen many a go-go dancers and I don't think I've maybe seen one that, I don't even know if he was black. He was just not white. Yeah. I think that's like dead on. And I think like what you were saying is I think about those those comments that I'm sure I've made in my past, but that when I talk to my black queer friends now, the things that they say are like, well, um, you're hot for a black guy, you know, mm-hmm. like you're hot, like, like, and that 
oh, I, I can't even like really articulate like how that makes me feel um, at this current moment because like hot for a blank, putting a qualifier on mm-hmm. any of that, like one implies that there's that normal standard of beauty, right? Which like as a person who I don't think is stereotypically like beautiful, I, I hate that just in general. Um, but like that hot for a, and then to throw race into it, like you're just admitting <laughs> that you're racist. That you're racist yeah, saying. without even knowing. Like, right? Like, like, right, it's like something that's dropped so casually. Like, oh, like he had a, like he had a big dick, but like it wasn't as big as like, as big as like some other black guys. But like, why are we fetishizing? We don't do that with anyone else. We don't do, yeah. And, and even like, like I, and again, to part of your point, like, like I know for a fact that I've fallen into this category a thousand times in, in my previous, in younger. Yeah, I know, I know. And I I've had my yeah. black friends, most of them aren't even gay, check me on this. And, and, and I, I, I didn't get it. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm complimenting. I'm not like, I'm me saying that, like, you're fetishizing it's not really him doing it but me saying like oh that guy like he had a big dick or that guy or whatever it is about black people like i'm complimenting in my head and but they're like no you're not what you're doing is you're sexualizing them you don't talk that way about like a white dude you would hook up with be like i was like i guess you're right like it's true but i also think it's that and then it's like is he hot enough and then this in like um which also means there's people like he's hot enough to hook up with but like i'm not gonna like be with a black guy or i'm yeah. not gonna, like mm-hmm. and i hear that in the lgbtq community but i also hear that with like white girls that i know like or like straight girls like and and stuff like that and maybe straight guys say it about girls i don't have enough i guess close straight guy friends to know that but i think it's that's a black thing and black uh, uh, how white people treat or treat minorities in general of like oh they're hot enough to like fuck but like that's it like and that's where mm-hmm. it's like but then like a white girl or white guy can be whatever and it's like they don't right not to fit any mold like they, they some work fucking no what some fucking schlep with like dirty vans and like a, a wrinkled flannel and a straggly beard just becomes like oh, he's like so hot he's so hot. Yeah. i'm like what like it's just like like the the standards that people i think hold for for black people in terms of a relationship must be so high but as someone who is not black um and as someone who has as kirk said you know like I've actively passed over people of color on dating apps. I've actively thought that someone is hot for a black person. I've actively fetishized, you know, like big black dick and a huge black yeah. ass. Like, uh, I know that I can't speak to this. So like, Erica, I know that you have some shit that you want to say, because yeah. I want to hear it. Because yeah. like, I know I'm part of the problem, you know? So I came prepared today with names. <laughs> <laughs> These names are not in air quotes. These are real <laughs> names. Jake. <laughs> it's funny because my friends all know him and don't like him. But, um, you know, in, in reality, it was, he was someone who truly believed that he was a, that he meant better for the black community than the black community. Um, but he would always say like, oh, I love hot black chicks or like, I even like a skinny black chick cause she at least has a ghetto booty. First of all, I don't know how a booty could be ghetto. Um, and can white people stop saying ghetto? Like, can we just put the- Can white people, can we get, yeah, uh, thank you, Kirk. Thank you. ghetto. Thank you. And I used to think I was sensitive cause I hated that word, but I was like, no, like 
it's not cute, but, um, you know, he very much got off on sexualizing black women and he dated a black woman whose credentials are not even just impressive. They are exemplary. Like, um, are you talking about yourself? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say two Ivy league degrees and a PhD, but guess what? I have none of LaSalle is the Ivy League of North Philadelphia. Hey, no temple is. <laughs> but, um, you know, even how he spoke about her. So I remember I sat down with my friend Natalie, who is truly one of the smartest people I know. And she's just, she is a member of the LGBT community. And she's just amazing. And she was like, well, have you heard of, the whore madonna dichotomy and i'm like natalie your princeton is showing and i'm a simpleton (laughs) and she basically said that it's this idea that black women or generally women but she was framing this um from the standpoint of black women um they're either this you know perfect being where again a couple ivy league degrees a um, PhD and then basically you treat them like they're gold but to the point where it's like you set them in this box where they can't subvert your expectations and then you have the whore side of it where it's just like it's a fucking vagina like I'm gonna get what I want to get out of it and that is I think where a lot of white men gay straight anywhere in between stand where it's you know, either they have to be this perfect being because they've checked off boxes that you didn't even know people could check off, or they're just, you know, like, look at this, like, big, sexy, chocolate mandingo, like, I, that literally is probably the name of, like, 18 different pornos, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's no. just, you know, it's all about the physicality of their bo- bodies, and they're used as an object in the sense of they're a sexual object or kind of like a trophy where you leave it on the shelf and you polish it every once in a while. But once that trophy gets nicked, it loses its, it loses its value. That is insane. Like it's such, it's exactly like, I think this article I was reading today, it like talks about that a little bit. It talks about like the, like the fetish, like the trophy aspect, like the, I checked this box, so like I must not be racist type of thing. Like, and like I, I pulled out a quote from the article and his, his name, his name is uh, Shoren Nicholas. Uh, he's, he's black. Um, and he just put in this like quote about like being with black people and like why we fetishize. And like, he, 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 he is black. So he was talking about his, his own, his own experience. Like he's like, and he says, is it the guilt of what your ancestors did to mine? Do you not love yourself? Whatever it is, it's weird. Stop it. I'm convinced they don't think before they send messages like that. But like, then again, I think they know exactly what they're doing. Mm. They think we get pleasure from their sick perversions. And let me let you in on something, white gaze. We don't. Well, at least I don't. And I just thought like, to me, the amount of, oh. I don't know, like, I don't know exactly how to articulate my thought, but it's like, 
the way just the way that he wrote it's an article on medium which like i can share in the episode link too but like like it's it's um just his way of being like why are you like acting like you're doing community service by like being with black he's like i don't need your acceptance Mm -hmm. like i don't need your like you know like like um I don't like just like 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 but basically like stop neglecting me as part of the community like I don't need your acceptance I just need you to like appreciate me as part of this community I don't need any of this like and I don't know Erica if that relates what you are saying at I all so I, mean, now that it, yeah. I feel like sometimes people treat it like oh I'm throwing quite literally a dog a bone um and literally <laughs> I'm getting so heated I literally just turned on my AC <laughs> I had to turn on my fan. I'm covered in sweat. Like, I'm like, I'm... But, um, you know, it's it's tough when you date because you don't know if you are, if they are dating you because they think that you're an intelligent person or you're beautiful or if they're dating you because you're an intelligent black person and you're a beautiful black person. Um, and... It's funny. I think the first wake up call I really had was um, there was someone that I was seeing and one of my friends was like, "Ooh, I didn't know he was into black women. And it just like it almost hit me like a train where it was the first time in my life where I was like, wow, I don't know if that's why, you know, he's interested in me or if it's because we've known each other and we have this, you know, good relationship and it, it really stayed a friendship which was great but it was just oh my god like I I don't sit in the same dating community as white women and I think it's very similar for whatever dating community you are a part of you are not in the same one and mm. I will say it is the same for um, Latinas especially ones who aren't necessarily white passing um, Asian women Southeast Asian women, like we are all, if you are not a white woman, there's this fear that you're more of a fetish. And I think that goes for anyone, even if you were not a, I couldn't even imagine what it's like being a black transgender man, either way, either side of it, where it's like, is it because I want someone, I want to know what it's like to be with a black man. I want to know what it's like to be with someone who's transgender or like, am I just an experiment for you? Because, right, yeah, girl, and I know plenty of white gays who are like, I'm not someone's experiment. Like, neither am I, bitch. You're not right. treating us like your experiment. If you want to know, like, like no white gays a black guy, go date a like actually date and get to know yeah. a black guy. Don't just be like, I want. I have jungle fever. Like that's so racist. Oh, it's so racist. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my do people god. Still say that? I'm just kidding. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they. Do. If you have to ask that question, they must. Anyways, right. Like, I think. God. Yeah. And when it when it comes to like, and this is, I think we. I don't know if we. I don't think we've talked about this yet. But with, um, I think we might have a bit a bit in the beginning. But with preference, like where, and this is like a question because I don't think there is like a strict answer on this. Um, but I do know where I kind of stand with it. But like, like preference. Ver- like your sexual preference or your dating preference whatever you want to call it versus like is it racist or is it discriminatory or is it prejudice and mainly speaking i guess since we're talking about race in terms of um black people but i think any type of any type of race or any type of minority 
um, because you know with, with Grinder, I don't, I think it was Grinder or whatever whatever other apps mm-hmm, have gotten mm-hmm. rid of the preference, the racial preferences, um, which I think needed to happen like seventeen years ago whenever apps were created. Um, but then I, I have I've had very interesting conversations with a lot of people around this around like do you like they're like no it's like I'm just actually someone said to me and they were like half kidding but like not and they were saying like um, you know you like guys you don't like girls so your preference is guys and like. And I'm like, okay, but that's like so different than like saying that like like I don't like a certain type of guy, um, and I, I think that goes for like like race and also like body type or anything. I think it's all kind of fucked up, but like we're specifically talking about race. But I don't think it's fair to compare. Obviously, it's not fair to compare that to like, am I being sexist to women by not being attracted to them? Like, it's not right. Obviously, it's not the same thing. But someone genuinely, jokingly, but kind of genuinely said that, and then we're like, we well, you know what's wrong with like like you you don't like white or they're like you don't you don't date white guys i'm like i mean i do and i would like i don't i've never like said i don't want to date white guys it's just like maybe right. i haven't like where you're saying maybe you haven't dated a black guy doesn't mean you don't want to it just hasn't happened you're not seeking it out or not seeking it out but i think the fact that i can go on an app and get rid of every black person that would pop up to me is not a preference it's like it's just I don't want to see black people, which falls into racism to me. Like, it's right. Like, that's why I think because you're not giving yourself that's you can't just say you don't like a certain type of person. Like I didn't know if I liked, um, I didn't I didn't say I had a preference or not a preference in Asian people. I ended up dating a kid who was Asian, and and I don't know if I if I said if I x that out of my life, but I don't want to date Asian guys. Like I never would have dated this person, and and I never had that experience of like if I liked and I got to know this person and we had a genuine relationship. But if you, I don't think it's fair to just be like I don't like. I don't, I'm not attracted to black people. Like it's, it's bizarre. A hundred percent. I think that there is a, it, it sounds like a valid argument when you put it as a preference. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that I, I did a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of research on that this morning. Like just, I was watching this video, which um, again, I'll say it was really hard to find American created content around this stuff. Yeah much of this was European specifically I found it in the UK and that I don't think has anything to do with like the fact that like my partners from the UK like I think it literally is just Americans don't talk about this enough like it was a video from like BBC three and it was talking about like prejudice versus uh preference and preference using the word preference is often a way to escape the fact that you're actually racist. Like, because a preference to what you were saying, Kirk, a preference is, do I like chocolate or vanilla ice cream? Yeah. Like, but a prejudice is like excluding an entire race of people from even your viewpoint yeah. that on Grinder you can go to those filters and you can say, what type of ethnicities do I want to see? Well, I'm into... Um, like white people and I'm into uh, Hispanic people, but only like light skinned Hispanic people. Yeah. Like you can go and check your or box. Hispanic as, people oh, that are jocks. Like that's, right. it has to be a certain type of Hispanic person. Exactly. You can filter by body type, by height, by weight, by everything yeah. because of what your preference is. And when that preference excludes a group of people, then preference becomes prejudice. That's a great so like they're, t- they're yeah, they're tied together. And it was a 30 minute video where it was interviews with like a bunch of different people in the queer community, like black, white, um, Middle Eastern, like Hispanic, like they sort of like grouped everything together. And like just the amount of things that people say, like, well, go back where you came from, or like, I don't like this, like, no, no fats, no femmes, no Asians, no blacks, like, all of these things are common lingo in gay yeah. 
dating apps, a queer dating apps. So how can we, as a community, say that these are just preferences when they are systemically not giving Black people the same opportunities to date as they are white people? Like, it just, it's exclusion. And I'm glad that Grindr changed their stance, but this video sort of addressed that, that they were starting to change their stance. But they've been around, as you said, Kirk, for 10 years. Like, so why did it take 10 years for people in an already disadvantaged community to recognize that they were disadvantaging people? It's insane. It's insane. Yeah, because I guess then, I mean, I guess someone who would want to argue that could be like, well, you could get rid of white people too. Okay, but like, I bet you if if there was like statistics around this, I doubt that that's happening that much. And like, that's that's like, it just shouldn't, I think that's very, the way you put it, when your preference becomes a prejudice because you're eliminating essentially an entire race from your preference. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. I don't want to see them. Which in a day, in, in a normal life, that's essentially what racism is. I don't want to see black people, so get rid of them. Like, that's what mm-hmm. it feels like. They're not my friends. They're not people I yeah. hire. They're not, right. you know, people I would date. They're not people I would see. It's going like, to prefer just... them. Prefer, right. It's like, like, I didn't think okay. about it in a workplace. Like, it's like, I don't prefer, I had this discussion <laughs> yeah. last night, actually, with a friend about, I think their uncle or somebody and somebody, an older person who was a conservative, but they got them to see, which is great, which I think what these conversations are doing is getting people to see, but like hiring people, um, I don't know what kind of business they own, but sending, they hired salespeople. And if they're like, if I hired a, when I hired a black salesperson, I wouldn't get the same results because the, because the clients they're going to are racist. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Like, I didn't think of it that way, but then you're, you're racist you're be or you're being racist. You're part of the problem. Let's fix that or screw those people and stop selling to them. That that's what this is all about. Like taking a stance mm-hmm. on that. That's more important than someone's business. Um, but that again, it was like, it's just a preference of the people we're selling to. They want to be sold from sold to by white people. And it's like, right. It's not a preference. That's racism. Right. Yeah. That's profiting off of racism, like, yeah, which, yeah. Is a whole, yeah, which is a whole nother conversation. Like, selling like, to racists only. <laughs> Right, exactly, exactly. Which, uh, you know, that's the entire Trump presidency yeah. he's profiting off of, you know, racism. But I, I, I find that like so fascinating that people are like, well, like, but white people like these products, and I'm like, all right, but like, aren't you a company? Aren't you in a position of power? Shouldn't you speak up about this stuff? Shouldn't you take a stand and try to change the perspective of your customers? Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that what we're all trying to yeah. do now? And uh, again, I say this as one podcast that is like, what did I finally get woke? You know, like, like I'm like, I, I, like you could go through my entire podcast history and all of my episodes and you can cut and paste a mega cut of it's Paul Warren being racist. And you can share that online and I'll say, fuck yeah. You know what? I have been because like I didn't, I, my privilege did not allow me to look at this stuff. It didn't allow me to look at my hiring practices or my, you know, my dating preferences. I, I didn't fucking wake up. I didn't start thinking about it and talking about it. So it's, it's, it's like pervasive as hell, you know, like just that you can be able to do this from like a sexual side, from a dating side, you can do it in media. It can happen at a bar and it can happen inside of a community that's marginalized already. Yeah. Like, racism, there's classism and everything. Yeah, racism sees no, like, it will be, it's anywhere. It's a matter if you're a minority, which I think people think is, like, an outsider who's LGBTQ probably like, well, no, there's no way there's that issue there because they're already a minority or they're already a group of people that are being discriminated against. So there's mm-hmm. no possible way, but it is. I do want to mention one thing before we leave, like, we're kind of leaving the sexualization part of it, but... Um, and I wanted both of your inputs on this. I think it was, a, I'm sure we've all seen it. This It was in one of the protests, like, I want to say it was somebody 
it probably was a bit of a joke, but there was a sign that that's, it went viral, I think. And it was about like, you know, you sleep with our men, like, where are you now or something? It was like basically at white women being like you, you know, you over-sexualize black men or, or claim that you like black, prefer black men, whatever it is. Um, but then you're not out here doing this, um, which I thought was interesting because it was, but then I also was, I think there was like a flip side of white women being out there with signs or whatever saying that they do like, you know, I stand for black men sexually and now I that, that means I'm not a racist and I think that there needs to be like a discussion of like just because you say you do prefer black men or black women sexually you, doesn't mean you aren't you can't be racist right like and I think that that's something people think like oh I've hooked up with one black guy the same thing as being like, I have a black friend like you can still have this right. racism which I mean goes back to my favorite thing that Erica said last podcast about being being an ally just because you have a friend doesn't mean you're you're being a good friend but you might not be being an ally so um I think I've had conversations with people who are like, no, like I hook up with or I prefer, but that doesn't mean that you're an ally. Like you could mm-hmm. just be preferring them sexually. Are you dating them? Are you trying to get to know them? Are you like, is it, is it someone you would bring home to your parents? Like, then they probably wouldn't. Like, and that's right. Yeah. And the like, yeah. question is why? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Erica, I'd love for you to, to handle that yeah. question and talk about that question. Here's my thing. If you have to tell someone that sleeping with them doesn't make you a advocate they're almost a lost cause like how fucking stupid like i'm sure i've you know i'm sure there are plenty of people who slept with trump supporters or even the women who slept with donald trump (laughs) do not care about donald trump and so i think Sex is a purely physical thing. Um, It's right up there with eating. Like, I love a good carbonara, but I wasn't there, you know, like, why are you tearing down this Christopher Columbus statue? I actually wrote in about it. (laughs) He was Italian. I don't even remember what he was. But he, it's, if someone has to be sat down and told that, enjoying the physicality and you getting your rocks off from someone does not make you any type of ally. I, I cannot justify the level of stupidity that is flowing through whatever two brain cells are still playing ping pong with each other. <laughs> it, Sorry. It's one of those things where, you know, having someone as a sexual partner doesn't even make that person someone you truly have in your life like I consider the people who are in my life people that I follow up with people who I check in with where I don't feel that there's a boundary because of the nature of our relationship like it's pretty weird if you're hooking up with someone and you text them and just say like hey just checking in like how's your family like they're gonna block you that's weird And if you can't, if you're not there with your sexual partners, then don't consider yourself an ally. Don't consider them your friend and don't consider them like, don't consider that you mean anything more to them than, you know, whatever happened in the bedroom. And I, I have friends who are in interracial relationships and one of my friends, like I tell people, I'm like, she is not backing down. Like, she is in these streets. She is protesting. She is donating. She is calling out her family. She's starting important conversations. And it just so happens that she has a black partner. And 
she is not afraid to say that, you know, there's challenges with that. And that's fine too. But if you truly love someone, you're going to stand up for them. And it doesn't have to be this caveat of, oh, well, I shouldn't have to because no, every person's responsible. I am responsible for being an advocate and an ally for my LGBTQ friends, for my friends who are of different religions, because they are my friends. And that is the underlying thing. And they're people that I love and care about. So I will be in these streets. And if there's a protest about transgender rights, no matter what color the person is, I will be there. If, you know, our Muslim brothers and sisters need us to be there for them, I will be there too. It doesn't have to be, it's, (laughs) I, sorry, mom and dad or any of my family, whoever listens to this next sentence, but it's not oral sex. Like, it's not like, oh, I gave it to you. You have to give it to me. It doesn't have to be reciprocity. It just has to be people caring about people. Not that I've ever done oral sex in my life. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I think that's dead on. And like, I felt myself getting so inspired while you were talking because like, to me, which again, is not your job to, it's not your job to inspire us, though it does happen. Um, I just, uh, to me, it's like, it's not scratch your back, you know, it, it like being an ally is not picking and choosing your battles. Like you really, this is a lifetime of work and it's a lifetime of failure and it's a lifetime of trying to be better. And like, I feel like, you know, people have been, been calling me out now that there's this small Instagram following that I have. People have been like, you're just, you know, like, like you just woke up, you just this, you just that. And I'm like, I know, I know I did. And I'm, but I'm trying to be better. Like, I realize I've let people down. Like, let's not cancel people. Let's normalize growth. So let's like Ooh. keep trying to like do better and get better and keep having these conversations and don't discriminate when you're going to be mad and when you're not going to be mad and when you're going to fight and when you're not going to fight because like, People are fighting for you. People are talking about you and your queer rights all the time. Like, and a lot of those people are black people. So who are you to sit silent right now as a queer person or as a straight person, but as a queer person, who are you to sit silent right now and not fight for them Yeah, when they fought for you? And I think now that we're kind of talking about allyship and I think it's super important, I think, and I was a question for you, Paul, too, because I've seen it from my end of just being, I mean, I know you, and you both follow me. I think, I, I mean, I've been, I mean, as a lot of people have being super active on social media, obviously the past month or so. Um, and, you know, because I know that my small following, it, my, my, re- my reason for it is like, Hey, like, I, if I post as um, a petition or a donation or something that I did that I want people to also, if they if are so inspired or inclined to do so, it's great. I'm not forcing anyone to do that, but if I can get three people to sign a petition, that's great. Like that's a that's a win, right? It's, I'm not trying to be like I'm some influencer. I know that that's not the goal there, but it's like I ha- I don't know if you've seen this from I've seen I've heard this from friends of friends of mine about some of my friends people that are getting uncomfortable with some things that I, me trying to be a better ally, me posting um, mainly white people, and this goes back to like that white fragility of a lot of it feeling too jarring for them or too too. Um, radical which i wouldn't say any of it is even that radical they're just little they're just close-minded um that i and it's come to a point where it's like um 
someone has said like why is Kirk posting this he's not black he doesn't know he's not educated in this like he's not this and it's like like I think people understand like being an ally isn't like trying to prove that you're that person and I'm not trying to prove that I'm black or I'm not trying to prove that I'm knowing everything I mean if you sit listen to us for the past hour like I think I me and Paul made multiple times we don't know everything we're not experts in this and no one's trying to be but it's just um like owning I like the difference is like I can own up and say I've said this I've, I've been a part of the problem and I think a lot of people that I hear from who have issues with maybe or with what I'm posting or with what you might be posting or somebody's posting as an ally it's because they I personally think can't look into themselves and admit that they've also done this because they think it then labels them as a racist and they're a bad person and they but they're also not taking the time to go and you know, make themselves better and, and advocate for anybody else and share that content or whatever they feel so inclined to share on their social media, which again, isn't the, all you have to do. Obviously, if that's not the person you are, you don't have to, but I just think it's, I've been having this weird battle now that it's been kind of dying down per se, um, which it shouldn't be, but, um, that, that I'm, the people are, I'm hearing things from people being like, why are you still posting about this? Or like, why are you so, like, what? And it's like, because I'm trying to be, you know, a good ally and staying woke to it for lack of better words, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've and, seen and that the, or heard that from people too, because you've been sharing stuff as well. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent along the same way. You know, the day that this podcast episode gets released is going to be four weeks since the blackout Tuesday posts. So if you haven't done anything in the past month and you think that racism can be solved in a month, you're fucking clueless, you know? So don't even talk to me about why I'm still posting, okay. you know? And I, I wish I could channel that attitude of what I just said every day. <laughs> I can't because sometimes it's, it's, it's it, like I am, I'm like, oh God, I'm like, oh, like this, I'm going to have to be posting about this for a long time. And I'm like, oh yeah, well, you know who else is going to be have to dealing with her shit for a long time? Erica's going to have to be black for her whole life. You know, so like the racism that she faces is not going to... subscription ended at 25! <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just crazy, right? Like it's... It, 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 the fact that people can come after somebody for who is still trying to be an ally, trying to learn how to be an ally and admit their failures... There's something seriously. Yeah, wrong I just with wish that people because... could be more willing to admit, and that's the white fragility of not understanding um, that. And if you feel, and like people, are, I feel like this was directed towards me. Like, well, maybe it wasn't. I'm not thinking about you enough for it to be directed towards you. But maybe if you but feel if, you were... if it was, and you feel you're calling me out on it, you see, like, maybe it is about you, and that's fine. I'm not posting, hey, whoever. I'm trying to think of a name that I don't that I don't know of somebody, so I'm not calling somebody out like Erica was. But I, I like. <laughs> Like some rando, like I'm not calling you out, but if you think that it's about you, then maybe it is. And maybe look into yourself and figure it out. It's also about me. Like I also probably have, you know, done these things and I'm trying to figure out how not to do them. Um, so I think it's important for everyone to, I don't know. I just think it's important if you not, if you want to be an ally to understand like you, like allies also have done wrong and like, that's okay. Mm -hmm. and that's admitting it and trying to move forward from it. Um, and no, I don't know it all. And just because I'm sharing my thoughts doesn't mean I know it all or that I'm forcing you to do exactly what I'm doing. Um, and I think people mm -hmm. like think that, and I, I, that's, you know, I don't give a fuck to be honest, but um, for, I just think it's, it's interesting that, that we're, I'm starting to see that kind of turn um, because people might be getting sick of it or bored of it or think it's, it's gone. And, you know, certain things have happened because of the protest, which is great, but not that much has happened because of protests or because everyone's speaking out it needs to keep happening. Um, so I hope that people can remember that and keep it and keep doing that. Yeah, agreed. I think you hit that perfectly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and when we come back, 
we are going to unpack porn titles that objectify and fetishize black people. We'll do this in the queer community and we'll do this without. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's probably going to be a little bit funny, um, but it does represent, I think, um, a couple issues that we've talked about today. All right, everyone. And you know, like we, we love to end episodes here with uh, something a little bit lighter, something that might make you laugh, something that might make you gag and might, that might make you shock. Uh, and speaking of gagging, uh, we are going to talk about um, fetishes in porn. We're going to talk about fetishes in sex and how that all plays into some of the other things I think we've talked about of how white people often view black people as objects. So um, what we've done is we've went on Pornhub, YouPorn, we've Googled things just to look at different videos to uh, call out problematic titles. Um, and also, as we talk about it, I think some problematic studios. Like as I was looking uh, up a couple, I saw something called Thug Hunter, which is where uh, black men or black men and white men have sex in public. And I think there's stereotypes and there's racism that goes into all of this stuff. Um, and these companies need to be held accountable and they need to uh, actively look at the way that we talk about sexual attraction and talk about sexual intimacy and how they impact the larger narrative specifically within the queer community. Um, so I don't know, Kirk or Erica, which one of you wants to go first and, and share one of the lovely titles that you found. Um, but uh, I'll just turn it over to you. Kirk, I'm going to let you go first. Oh, gosh. Are, my, are we reading all of them or just do one and then keep, keep going around? Which yeah, why don't you read one and then we'll go around the horn. Okay. Um, all right. So. Um, one of the first ones is, is a long one. I think one of the things the three of us found was that there are very long porn titles, um, very descriptive. And in this situation, I think a lot of problematically descriptive and unnecessarily descriptive. I think this this one kind of fits under, um, which is Ebony College Teen Shaking His Big Black Ass for Daddy. And I think there's a lot to unpack there. But the fact that why are we why are we saying ebony like that's I think number one why is that a, why is that a descriptor here, um, and then I think this you know the stereotype of like having a big black ass and shaking it and then I think this the whole it's just clearly they're trying to pander to a specific audience that would watch this um, which mm -hmm. is probably a problem in itself that there is an audience that wants to specifically watch something um, like that to fetishize black people, yeah. Agreed. Erica, you take the next one. So, that is insane. I can't even comment on that. I, you're, it's just kind of like so many things happen. It's <laughs> Oh my god. It's like a where's Waldo where it's like you know there's a lot happening. You just can't fuck <laughs> out. Can't spend the time. Jesus. So this is a category because I will be honest I'm not a fan of porn and looking at those thumbnails hurts my soul um I'm probably gonna have to repent tomorrow just for like having those <laughs> images in my mind but um I'd like to introduce you to the category of race play 
Mm. which is a kink. Um, and it is essentially, for example, you would have a, a one black woman and a group of white men, and in the background is a Confederate flag. Um, and this is... I'm not one to yuck anyone's yum, as they say, but, like, there's a line. <laughs> there's a line. There's a line. <laughs> and they fully crossed it. And it's... I don't... I don't know how to describe the level of confusion. Like, I just... How do you get someone to do it? That's all I need to know. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh I, and I mean, I will say, I'm sure that they offer these women. Yeah. um, Oh my God. If you look up race play porn, oh my God. It says racist humiliation, N-word, and then the actual N-word with an E-R, race play, racist, race play, N-word, I don't know what a J-O- Joy? J-O-I? I hope it's not anything like terribly offensive that I shouldn't be saying. But um, yes, it is a thing and it is a very extensive category. So I'm just gonna... There's over 10,000 results. Oh my god. That's, I didn't even... I mean, I guess I'm sure I kind of know this it existed, but I can't believe that it... Like, it's crazy that it's the issue that exists. And there's people that want to watch that, I guess. Yeah. Which is like yeah. this whole other level of racism. I don't like. What this the is fuck? terrible. And you know, you know, the black actress is underpaid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But paid enough to to do it because she has no to other opportunity it. or something. Right. She has no other. Oh God. This. Uh, the caption for this one video literally just says "colonize." <gasps> oh my God. Oh my god. What the hell? I think I found a video that is part of that category. The one that I found is black slave punished by white master. <sighs> like, so you have, and uh, again, we're showing extreme examples. Yeah, but they're, they're real. This, this is a real example. And then that extreme example highlights different fetishes within the other community that doesn't feel as overtly racist or as problematic or as objectifiable. So another one that comes from that is a grown black man fucks bearded gramps grandpa outdoors. So like I can see how the black slave being punished by the white master video would make the, yeah, grown black man fucking bearded grandpa outdoors a little bit more like palatable so, but it still fits into that same level of like overt racism and fetishizing within porn right like yes. it has to yeah yeah and i think well when you start using like this black like why are we saying you know what i mean or, i mean we say white too i guess but why are we labeling it by their race race porn I mean, it's essentially what it is right mm-hmm. like it's one that i found was in that category too i think paul the second title of gangbang by blacks and just this, and on, like, we first you're like okay but you're like well no why are we saying by blacks like why are we labeling a group of people that way which i mean i hear that all the time not even um 
in porn, obviously, but like in conversation of um, ignorant people referring to a group of black people as blacks, which I think is just so offensively sounding even that I can't even like there's a lot to, to, to get into there. But um, and then the whole gangbang part of it, too. Of course, black people are gangbanging like that's, you know, mm-hmm. like of course, that's what the title is. So that's crazy. Oh, porn itself. I it's unfortunate because. I actually had this conversation yesterday with a friend and I was like, oh, you know, could I, oh, she like sent me this tweet and basically like you could make up to $40,000 per video if as like an amateur, I guess, submission. And I was like, you know, on one hand, like that is something that sticks with you, but if that empowers you, then that's great. But I, I truly wonder if like the women who are, and the men who are being subjected to this feel empowered. Like, I feel like if you were doing porn, like, I hope that for you it's an empowering experience. And the idea of someone getting off on you being embarrassed just sounds terrible. Right. Or who even knows? I mean, half the time, if which which when I was just reading stuff, sometimes they don't even know the title or how it's going to be packaged or how it's going to be um, edited and put into, I mean, I'm sure that person might've known there was a Confederate flag around them. Maybe, honestly, maybe they didn't, I don't know. But um, that idea of, you don't know how it's going to be positioned um, once it comes out. Um, right. The marketing might be yeah. totally foreign. But you don't know you that the name is going to be something um, racist or, or um, preju- um, sorry, fetishing you. You don't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so huge. Like I, because you, you, and the only thing that I compare that to is just like they sort of talk about some of that stuff within the disclosure doc on Netflix. Like they are actively talking about how like there's this rite of passage for like black men to play certain types of roles in order to gain success later on in life, and like that rite of passage is unfortunate. And that's what I wonder. Like if you're a a person who works in porn which i take no issue i fucking encourage you to take jobs like this if that's what you want to do and that's how you can make money and that's how you can have your hustle like hell yeah um but if you view that as a rite of passage in order to further your career in pornography you need to do videos like this that are like the lowest lowest rung but sometimes this like lowest rung the people who are watching this are the same people who are being hateful or racist or violent against transgender people, against other black people. Like this narrative stretches into culture. So I can't blame them for taking the work, but certainly we can hold the studios accountable to making sure that they are actively representing people fairly and justly and kindly and not just meeting the market to make a little bit of money, right? That's just the problems that we all agree as I know, you know, liberal people agree with capitalism on, you know, like that's just not okay to profit off this stuff. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to go any further. Wait, I have to read the two, the, the two. I'm sorry. I'm going to be the one who wants to keep doing this. Just kidding. But, not true. but there are two that I have to read because I think that they're um, relevant and, and fucked up. Like this is not even funny, but um, that, the, and they're like almost political, which is bizarre. Um, but the one was Malcolm Triple X, um, which was 
and I, I went and found like I mean I didn't watch it obviously but I found the page it was on it's it's an older one so maybe that's maybe it wouldn't be created these days who knows um but it I think is supposed to be about Malcolm X which I think is very ironic because I don't think we even speak enough about Malcolm X in like history or in yeah. like actual mainstream culture to be making pornographies to to objectify him um, I think is 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 kind of funny to me because I don't think we learn enough about him at all. And then, um, or what we do learn is not even, is not correct. And then um, another one, which is pretty recent, which I, this is an, a case that I think we were mentioning earlier about um, people, the actors not under, not knowing what they're, it's going to be called or how it's going to be packaged. And um, one of which is called Black Wives Matter. Um, and this, the, I think the women in it were interviewed in a few different publications and Glamour was one of the ones that I saw talking about how they had no idea when I mean, it had come out and it was like a corporate decision made at a corporate level um, at the company that it was going to be called Black Wives Matter. And I think this was very recent, obviously, um, which is just so disturbing that and then there's people that want to watch that again. It's just crazy, which is crazy to me because probably people who don't support Black Lives Matter, but they're willing to watching. watch black women be objectified for them to get their rocks off to what Erica said earlier, which is then kind of f- comes full circle to just because you are sexually pleased by someone doesn't mean that you're supporting or being an ally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really screwed up. I would, it's insane. And it sucks because um, I recently got onto TikTok and for some reason Mia Khalifa showed up in my For You page or whatever. And she, I guess you can respond to a comment like via video and one of the comments was well if you put that you know if you put the porn star part of you in the past why are your videos showing like showed up and she kind of made a joke like you know me one woman versus a multi-billion dollar company with um all these lawyers and it's like at the end of the day these companies are incredibly predatory in a sense that I'm sure those women would love to have the name changed, but it is out of their decision and they would have to dig deep into their pockets to get that rectified. And I'm sure they weren't compensated fairly either. So it's, you know, there's so much exploitation with all forms of entertainment because porn is still entertainment. Um, It's just entertainment that's a little bit more taboo and not spoken about. And I just, you know, I, (laughs) there is no part of our society where like this does not happen, where you don't have, you know, people and women of color. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's something called tranny porn that's extensive and disgusting there there is i can confirm that there is yeah and i'm sure it's not like just the titles alone are sickening so it's all of this is just whatever whatever we have to say to get people to click because like i'm sure someone's like "Ooh, black lives matter that sounds fun (laughs) like i'm a sicko i love to make fun of major movements that are spawned off of the deaths (laughs) of thousands millions But it's people like these types of things won't change because there's always going to be a market for it. And like, truly, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And that's where these people are. The people who are producing these videos. Mm -hmm. I hope they fucking start to wake up, you know, 
Well, it just proves that this is systemic into porn, even <laughs> like there's not nothing yeah. that like this this argument goes. And I think people, a lot of people are like, it's no, it's just the police issue, which I mean, obviously is a large issue and like the issue because it's killing people. But there's a whole uh, it's in every part of the world and especially in this country, but every country. And it's just um, you can't you can't escape it. You can't not find it somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Well, damn. This has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. You know, I think we talked about a couple things that are frightening, that are terrifying. I think we wanted to go into this, like, sort of segment laughing. But the fact is that racism is not a laughing matter, you know? Like, objectification is not a laughing matter. Fetishizing is not a laughing matter. And if you laughed at this stuff, I would encourage you to look inwardly and connect with any of us, you know? Because I think that even our perspective going into this was like, I can't believe this stuff exists. Oh my God, shock value. But then when you think and reflect and unpack for a little bit, you're hit with like a little bit of sadness, a lot of sadness. Um, and just another indicator of the problem that we're talking about. So it doesn't matter, you know, if you're, if you're part of the, queer community it doesn't matter if you're part of the straight community like all of these things just dovetail and play into each other because racism is systemic and racism is a massive problem and just because you may think that you know you're woke and that you are different than people doesn't mean that you don't have you know your own challenges so um you know, I, I think that it's important for white people to recognize when racism starts and where it comes from and, and how early it can start and how important it is to have those conversations early. So, you know, I wanted to thank Erica and Kirk, you guys for joining the podcast. And I also, you know, want to just close with another story. So thank you guys so much for, for joining us. It was great to have you guys. Um, Love you, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. Um, we'll talk soon. Um, but I wanted to leave just with this thought. Um, my friend Tyrese uh, reached out to me on Instagram, and we've been talking for the last few months, you know, during quarantine. And I asked him to, you know, talk about his experience with racism um, and racism in the queer community. And you know, he said, well, besides just saying people saying flat, they're not into me because I'm black. He said, I don't think we can even talk about just racism in the queer community because it starts so early. So um, he shared with me his first experience and he said, my first experience was in fourth grade. Growing up, I didn't see color. I wasn't really taught to see color. I'm Barbadian Dominican mix. Cousins of mine are Japanese and um, Barbadian mix. Some cousins are Irish and Barbadian mix or African descent mix. And I didn't really notice difference. I just noticed that they were my family, my friends, my neighbors were, we lived in a part of town where everyone was just kind of put together. It seemed like we just all came from different walks of life. And in the fourth grade, I was really into Pokemon and a group of people that I used to ride the bus with were also into Pokemon. Um, there was this kid named David who I battled two or three times and he lost all those games. But by the third time, he was getting very upset. And by the time he his team finally lost, he blurted out at me, why don't you go back to where you came from? And that hit me weird. It hit me weirdly because I was like, I don't know what he meant, what he meant by that because I had no, no experience with that before. So I said, what do you mean? I'm from here. 
he says, no, why don't you go back to Africa? With like a venom in his uh, vernacular when he said it, I was, that was the first time I've ever heard someone speak with hate about a culture or race, anything. And that childhood innocence was kind of lost in that moment. And it came about from someone just losing a video game. It was very interesting and very hurting that this clearly had to be something he learned. I realized this much later in my life that he clearly had heard this before. Someone said it around him, friends, family, older brother, who knows. But it came out of him so naturally. It made me wonder, is racism learned or do people see race naturally? So... Even if you think this stuff doesn't apply to you, think about the stories of Tyrese. Think about what Kyle shared at the beginning of this episode in thoughts of a black, thoughts from a bi black man, because this stuff is pervasive. This stuff is sick, and even if you can listen to a podcast episode about it, doesn't mean that you're doing anything to help the problem. You have to start advocating. You have to start calling it out. You have to start educating just like I am, you can say, I used to be racist, or I am racist, and I'm really trying hard not to be. So I'll get off my soapbox, but please channel this into something impactful and good. Share this episode with people. Send me comments and feedback. Connect with Kirk and Erica on their Instagrams. I'll be tagging them in the post this week. Um, and just feel free to, you know, continue to learn, continue to fail, but try to get better. So thank you guys so much for listening. This has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. If you want to follow the podcast, you can find us on Spotify um, and Apple Podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at It's Paul Warren. So thank you guys for listening. We'll be talking to you next week. And our episode next week is How to Be a True Ally. So stay the fuck tuned.